0: Hey everyone, this is the Frogs War podcast here for another week. I am Jamie Plunkett and I am joined uh, by Parker Fleming tonight. Parker, how are you doing?
1: Doing well, Jamie. How are you? I'm great. Uh,
0: Melissa is obviously not here. She's out of town, just like I was last week. So Parker has been uh, great about filling in these last two weeks. And, you know, he's smarter than Melissa and I combined. So it's really nice to have someone intelligent on the show for, you know, two weeks in a row flattery will get you a lot of places. It sure will. It <laughs> sure will. Uh where it won't get you though is in the win column. TCU's going to have to do a lot more than flatter Baylor uh <laughs> to beat them on Saturday. Parker, you know, Baylor is coming in at 5 and 5 and they're looking to be bowl eligible while TCU is 4 and 6 and has to win out to be bowl eligible. Um you know, that with the way this thing has gone so far, I wouldn't be totally shocked by Frog's just getting absolutely murdered. Do you?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm a little worried that Baylor is just better than the current TCU squad, and they are remembering a couple of very recent uh, humiliations and frustrating losses, and we'll have an opportunity finally to take some of that out on TCU. So I'm I'm a little bit worried about that.
0: It's funny that you used the phrase, take something out on TCU, seeing how uh, Baylor took out quite a bit of aggression on Iowa State last week. Uh, did you see videos of that fight that they got into with the Cyclones?
1: I saw one where a Baylor player was trying to gouge Hakeem Butler's eyes. Other than that, I've seen almost nothing about the uh, about the fight.
0: Yeah, so that guy, uh, I don't have his name pulled up, but he wasn't suspended uh, for the first half of, of this course. week for fighting. There was only Two. one Baylor bear that was fi- uh, suspended for fighting, and that was... Uh, defensive end Greg Roberts for throwing a punch at David Montgomery, uh, Iowa State's running back. And Montgomery was also suspended for their uh, the first half of their game this Saturday as well. I think it's a little ridiculous that, uh, you know, you had approximately 40 guys out on the field all punching and gouging and kicking and hitting each other. And there were only two suspensions that came out of that. It's a little ridiculous.
1: Yeah. That was an optimistic interpretation of events by big Twelve officials for, Because I know there was some, there's some hullabaloo about Charlie Brewer and him not deserving the penalty he got and they rectified that, but yeah, I don't think they handled in the, in the very few videos I've seen of it. I don't think they handled that well on the field or after the fact at all. No, they definitely Um, didn't. and, And I'm, and I'm kind of stingy on that. I mean, losing, losing record or 500 team, who's just like not very good playing a contender. If they're instigating fighting, you should just drop the hammer because that's just stupid and frustration. Um, kind of like Baylor last year against TCU, where clearly they had nothing to lose and or nothing to play for and just wanted to go out and, you know, start swinging.
0: It's true. And, we, yeah, we saw this with Baylor last year against TCU, like you just said, where they were absolutely trying to instigate some things. We saw this with the Baylor-Texas game two years ago in Waco when uh, the near the end of the season, Texas had suffered some injuries, Baylor had suffered some injuries, and so they both kind of had fallen from what we expect them to be. Uh, this is, of course, after Texas beats Notre Dame to open the season. And uh, there was a huge brawl in that game, too. It seems like every single year now, Baylor's new thing is picking fights with people.
1: Yeah, which, I mean, is frustrating. And I want to be one to not, like, play into the narrative of Baylor is always terrible. Because, you know, Matt Rule's a good guy. And he's, you know, he's done a lot to, to get the program in the right direction. But mm-hmm. the the they have been a bunch of haters recently uh, is I think what maybe the kids would say, just like they just are have a ton of, of ton to be frustrated about and have little ways of, you know, running over an opponent to get that worked out. So they have to do it elsewhere. But uh, yeah, that, that, that fight was a little bit silly, especially because Baylor wasn't really competitive against Iowa state. So it just, it was dumb all around. Um, but the cold, it makes was you dumb all around. And, weird things.
0: <laughs> it does. It sure does. And, you know, I agree with you. I like Matt Rule. Uh, I, you know, Patterson has gone on the record saying that he likes Matt Rule as well. And I think a lot of other Big 12 coaches feel the same way. Uh, and you can't deny the improvement over the two years that he's been there. I mean, they won one game last year. They're on the brink of bowl eligibility this year. And, you know, frankly, it does look like they're turning a corner, which, you know, if we're being completely honest with ourselves, is Good for the Big 12 and good for the TCU-Baylor rivalry if Baylor is a quality football team because, I mean, we've seen kind of what the rivalry has become with TCU and SMU. And, you know, the Big 12 already has uh, bad teams in it. Unfortunately, TCU is one of those this year. Uh, they don't need any more than really Kansas. And so having Baylor be a quality program and being someone that's competitive year over year is to the advantage, I think, of the Big 12 on the whole.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to have a, a conference full of full of cannibals, full of competitors, and having that rivalry mean something and not just be an excuse for nastiness would be really, really nice. Um, because it's been fun. I mean, the game that we won't talk about in Waco was super fun, even though it was disappointing. The mm-hmm. overtime raining nonsense, terrible over Thanksgiving a couple years ago, uh, 2015, was awesome. That like that was a fun game, and it was fun to be part of that rivalry. be there and so it's it's good when the product on the field is is better although uh beating them 60 to what 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 was it 62 to 22 uh in 2016 was pretty satisfying so Kyle Hicks Kyle Hicks with his five touchdown game or whatever it was and the best part of that is they scored on the very first drive and we're going crazy and you thought oh no here it goes again and then nothing they just got stomped it was great gave them a little bit of hope and stopped beautiful
0: Yeah, because, yeah, that was the OPI, I think, to open up the game that wasn't called. And then Taj Williams got uh, you know pretty favorable no-call when he pushed off of a defender and you thought it was just going to be a total shootout yeah. until Kyle Hicks ran for almost 200 yards. Yeah, that was a beautiful day. Beautiful day. But, uh, you know, they play again in a couple of days, and uh, things look relatively bleak for the TCU program while they're looking up for Baylor. And I know that you are the, the resident numbers guy. Um so tell me, what have those borne out for you in your research so far this week?
1: Well, so I, I have been doing a chart weekly just of the big five factors. Uh, you know, Bill Conley's data looking at, hey, what is what are the most important kind of broad strokes? And if a team is in the top 30, I color the cell green. If it's in the top 60, I color it blue. If it's in the top 90, I color it yellow. And if it's below that, I color it red. And this week's TCU Baylor chart is just bathed in red and yellow. Um, <laughs> there are There's just a lot of subpar uh, units here um, all, all around. <clears throat> um, but it looks like the matchup is going to be TCU's defense versus Baylor's offense because Baylor's offense moves the ball pretty well. They have a pretty high success rate. They're 30th in the nation. Um, and TCU's defense is 42nd in the nation at success rate. And so has, has been pretty successful, generally, stopping people from moving the ball last week, notwithstanding. Um, and so that'll kind of, I think, dictate the pace of the game. Is Baylor able to get, get big plays? Is Baylor able to sustain drives and kind of play the game they want to play? Or is TCU able to throw them off and give Michael Collins some space to create on offense?
0: Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned last week, isn't – I mean, West Virginia is kind of – and Oklahoma, too, are are pretty pretty hard, uh, comparatively speaking, offenses to, to really rate against other offenses. I mean, if you're talking about two of the best offenses in the country, that's OU and West Virginia. Uh, and while TCU's defense played admirably against Oklahoma for, I'd say, a half and West Virginia for the majority of – majority of a half, really the first – First quarter and, and into the second quarter a little bit, um, you know they you, you can't you can't really kind of use those as kind of a, a barometer for how how productive other offenses are uh, and and so you know when you're talking about Baylor's offense and just from what I've seen from them this year with Charlie Brewer and with their weapons outside uh, you know I, I feel like and, and you you just mentioned that the numbers kind of bear this out I feel like TC's defense will have a significant opportunity to get good stops simply because their team speed seems to match up. And even with all of the injuries, uh, it feels like Patterson will have this defense ready to play simply because it's a rivalry game.
1: I think that's a hundred percent true and that the defense should have the edge, uh, particularly of note, because uh, Bay- Baylor's offensive starting position on average is 26.9 yard line. That's 122nd in the nation they are not getting a lot of special teams help with that. And they're not forcing turn uh, turnovers or short drives or working the field field position angle very well. And that's kind of been TC's trouble. You know, they slip up, they give a short field, and then they reel for six minutes and then you look up and they're down by 21 or something that's happened in multiple games this season. And so I think, yeah, we definitely won't see that kind of um, stumble snowball kind of spiraling uh, thing just because Baylor is not very good at putting themselves in a position to succeed. And then they're not very, they're, they're just average uh, on top of that. And so I think TC's defense definitely has the edge, uh, especially with Baylor starting in a hole most of the time.
0: So what do you think about, uh, you mentioned turnovers and that's, that's an important thing to note since TC has been so turnover prone this year and they had two more against West Virginia, one, uh, was an offensive turnover, and then the other one obviously was on the kickoff return uh, that just nobody chose to catch that football, and that still baffles me to this moment. Um, but you know, when you're when you're talking about uh, being turnover prone, uh, you know, TCU, especially on offense with Michael Collins, has looked like they protect the ball a little bit better. Uh, how much of an advantage does that give the frogs in a game? like this, where Baylor's defense hasn't been terribly impressive all season. Um if they if they just don't turn the ball over, do you think TCU has an opportunity to really put some points on the
1: board? Well I'll condition that because they should. That's this I mean that's the story of the season. You know, they're uh in between the twenties, TCU's moving the ball really, really well and then they get in the red zone and um it just they, they get in the red zone and it just goes to hell. Um specifically TCU's inside the 10. Uh success rate is 122nd in the nation inside the 30, 123rd in the, in the nation. And they are last and inside inside 10 turnover rate. So it just becomes a disaster once they kind of get across the opponent 30 and um, Baylor's defense has not been particularly resilient in that way. And they haven't been turnover heavy. And so um, I think I'll condition that and say if TCU has no turnovers, they're probably going to win. But TCU's defense hasn't done much in the turnover department itself. And I think they're going to need a couple uh, just to get this Baylor offense away from having any shred of hope or any shred of sustained drives. So I'll say if if TCU is a, at least, uh, I know, bold take here, but if TCU is positive in the turnover margin for maybe the first game all season, then I think they can, um, I think they should run away with it. But, again, that's a big thing because all season it's been, can they not turn it over and can they get turnovers? And they haven't been able to do either of those.
0: Yeah, and Charlie Brewer's only thrown six interceptions this year to 14 touchdowns. He's, he's not completing a ton of his passes, just over 61%, but realistically he's done a pretty good job of protecting the ball as well. Uh, and, and you look at Baylor, they're averaging um, about uh, one turnover a game, but they're also forcing one turnover a game. And so you're absolutely right. I think that it, if, if the turnover battle is won by TCU, that's definitely something that um, uh, that will benefit them as it does most teams when they win that battle. Uh, but realistically, you know, from what I've seen from TCU, these last few, really the last three weeks, as far as the offense is concerned, and as far as the turnovers are concerned, uh, it's hard to say that there's much improvement simply because of the outcomes. They're one and two in those last three games, but then, Inexcusable loss to Kansas. Amidst that,
1: but um, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I was on vacation that weekend.
0: That's fine. That's fair. Don't 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 go back and watch. It was not worth it. Uh, I, I saw some. By the side note, I saw someone who didn't watch the game uh, say on Twitter that they went back and watched the game, and that is a whole new level of being a glutton for punishment. I don't. Yeah, dude. Why they would do that?
1: I rewatched OU and I rewatched West Virginia. I could I could never rewatch that Kansas game. Yeah, gosh.
0: I've. I've restarted just watching the games that we won from 2017. Because, you know, everybody was complaining about Kenny Hill for two years. And I wonder how many people would complain right now if Kenny Hill walked through that door with a yeah. helmet on. Uh,
1: although I have seen some, like, amazing hot takes about Michael Collins after we've had a sample enough to see, like, hey, he you know, he's a pretty good athlete, but, like, clearly was not some waiting-in-the-wing superstar. I've seen some pretty strong takes on Twitter about, how we should never we should never have started Sean in the first place and, and all this nonsense that like I think people just want quarterback controversy regardless of who's at the helm. I think Andy Dalton ruined uh ruined TCU for a long time just because people had expectations of consistency and you know four year, three year starter or whatever. But it's been a little crazy.
0: Well yeah Dalton I and mean, people just really love to forget about Dalton's retro freshman year too. Uh, he was awful. Yeah, I mean he he threw more interceptions than he did touchdowns. He completed less than sixty percent of his passes. Uh, he fumbled the ball all the time. People people forget how much TCU's fan base was calling for Marcus Jackson to be the starting oh quarterback. My gosh,
1: and that's and it. it's the Foster Sawyer. It it happens. It just mm-hmm. yeah. I, I don't get mm-hmm. it. It's you always want what you what you don't know. Evidently, but yeah.
0: Yeah, it goes back to Melissa's article i think from last year uh, when people were still complaining about Kenny Hill and uh wanting to see Sean Robinson uh you know she wrote there's nobody there's no better position uh to play on a football team than backup quarterback cuz everybody loves you right everybody wants to see what you have to have to to show them and michael collins has shown us what he's got at this point realistically i mean he's he's completing what 50 something percent of his passes he's uh you know Looks very skittish in the pocket. Granted, some of that has to do with having an offensive line that you know feels like blocking is suggest a suggestion and not a rule. Yeah, <laughs> um, but you know, realistically, and and you go and you go and you mention Andy Dalton too. But you know, realistically, we've also been spoiled simply because of kind of the line of succession that's come after Dalton. You've got a Casey Paul Hall, who came in as a, I think, a sophomore and won eleven games. And was good. Yeah. And was laser rocket arm good. And everyone was like, "Oh my god, this guy's going to be better than Andy Dalton was." Obviously, that wasn't the case because of some off the field issues. But still, the talent was was absolutely there. Then you've got Boykin, who comes in and struggles, but get the new offensive coordinators and Meacham and Cumby, and he comes out just. It's a Heisman front-runner for basically two years. You get the transfer in Kenny Hill, who comes out and wins 17 games in two years, uh, you know, including an 11-3 season last year with a, another comeback victory in the Alamo Bowl over Stanford this time. So, uh, yeah, TCU fans have been spoiled at the quarterback position, and if things break well in recruiting uh, and, and these guys that are coming in are who we think they are, like Justin Rogers and Max Duggan, Uh, You know, they're probably going to be spoiled again in the future pretty quickly. But realistically right now with Sean Robinson, who was playing through an injury and Michael Collins just, you know, being who he is, which is an average quarterback with, uh, you know, a subpar offensive line and some guys around him who are talented, but, you know, are young and inexperienced. It's, you know, it's just it's kind of one of those moments. It's a cyclical thing, I think, for TCU football and fans. Fans have gotten spoiled and can't really handle that. Yet. Yeah,
1: and I was I was just throwing some random numbers out because I, you know, coaching firing season and people are talking about Petrino mm-hmm. and Mike McIntyre, who I'm not sure if he even got fired from Colorado yet or not. But I, I saw a report and just looking at what they what they did and or what what these metrics people are looking at and t c under Gary Patterson uh, never had consecutive losing seasons. Has finished top 25, 11 mm-hmm. of 18, top 15, and eight out of 18 seasons double-digit games, consecutive seasons six times, won double-digit games after a single-digit win total five times. There's only once where he didn't win double digits after winning single digits. Um, And then you just look at 10, you know, won 10 games, 11 out of 18 seasons. And then you look at the distribution of those numbers and you look at the cycle of, yeah, there was a four. Yeah, there was an eight. Yeah, there was a seven-win season. But after that, there was 12 and 11 as those teams became juniors and seniors. And so... TC's thrived on this development cycle, and I think that 2008 to 2011 run, which was pretty awesome, uh, and, and probably the most special four-year run TC will have, has kind of spoiled people thinking, oh, we should win 11 games every year, which is just not realistic.
0: No, it's really not. It's not realistic. And, and even the greatest programs on the planet have had significant stretches of down seasons. I mean, you look at what Penn State is coming out of after the last four or five seasons, Look at Alabama in the early aughts. They were nothing to write home about then. You know, Michigan has yeah. had its down times. USC has had its, is, is kind of in the midst of one right now, realistically. Um, same can be said for Miami. We've all been joking about Texas for these last several seasons. So you're right. Every team is going to see a downturn every once in a while. But realistically, I, I don't think this program would be in any uh, any better shape if someone other than Gary Patterson was running it and – it, it, by the way, Mike McIntyre hasn't been fired yet. Uh, and, oh, and I think sorry, the A D I think the A D said, uh we do not comment on speculation or unsubstantiated rumors. Uh let me just say I have made no suggest oh. no decisions regarding the future of the football program, which means McIntyre's probably gonna get fired, fired season, Yep, but
1: yep, absolutely fired. That was like did you see the clip of Jeff Brom saying he doesn't talk about coaching rumors in season and he's got a lot of work to do right now? Oh yes. Yeah, he's gone. Uh-huh. Uh yep. <laughs> uh yeah.
0: I mean, he was, he was gone anyways, but yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Lincoln Riley even has had to deflect questions now, granted, you know, that's about the NFL and he will be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys next year. And I can't wait for that, but that's neither here nor there.
1: I hope so. Yeah, that's um,
0: great. <laughs> I, I, I would take it. I would take it. And, you know, two birds with one stone take away another Oklahoma coach and maybe put someone competent in that chair over in Arlington. God knows there hasn't been someone there for a while yet. Yeah. Uh, but is playing Baylor, and that's the point of this podcast, or at least portions of it. So let's get back to talking about the Bears a little bit. Uh, you know, digging down offensively with with Baylor um, into the stats and into the numbers, what do you see? And maybe it's on the defensive side of the ball, too. Just holistically, what do you see from Baylor uh, that's something that they do really well that's going to give TCU a problem on Saturday?
1: Okay, so that was my kind of framework in starting my preview, was just that neither team does anything really amazingly. And so I just tried to say, what do they do on the margins better than everything else that they do? Um, and so, you know, looking at above average, they're top, top 60 or better. Um, they are, are really good on standard downs and third downs. So um, standard downs are there's not a passing or rushing tendency that would situationally call for it. Um, It's a little bit nebulous, but, and then third down success rate, they've, they're actually pretty good on third downs. And so they're good at at getting chunks of yardage when they need it. And then converting on third down to extend drives, which goes into that, you know, their success rate is pretty high overall. And so you can see where they've made some of their money um, in doing that. Um, Also, they're really good at their percent of first downs coming on first and second. Uh, So 70, 71% Seventy one percent of their first downs come on first and second down, which means they're just not getting into that third uh, third down situation a lot. And even when they are getting in that third down situation, they've been pretty decent at converting it. Um, additionally, this is fun with small sample size, but they have no backed up turnovers. So they're first in the nation in backed up turnover rate. But I what does that mean? That means that they are they have had no turnovers when they're inside their own 20. Which oh, I want to joke about. That's not a um, that uh, that's not a great thing because of sample size. But I don't think TCU can say that. So um, the other thing that jumps out is they're passing down lines per carry. Uh, or pa- excuse me, they're passing down line yards per carry is pretty good. Um, in fact, they are. I'm moving between tabs. Sorry, uh, passing down lines per carry, they're thirtieth in the nation, and so that means when they're running on a passing down. So you know that uh, second and second and long third and long, when they opt to run to gain some yardage, mm-hmm. their line is actually um, really capitalizing on the defense, you know potentially expecting pass or um, favoring pass, and so their their line's been able to get a push situationally pretty well, so there's some things here and there on the margin um, but but basically third down's really good they're getting a push on on Passing downs when they're you know when they're zigging instead of zagging on and rushing on a passing down, um, and then also that getting those first and first downs on on first and second down is important for sustaining drives. Interesting,
0: and and you know that's interesting, especially with the third downs, considering that West Virginia scored forty seven points against TCU and was only three of twelve converting third downs on the day. Kansas State was only 5 of 16. You go back to Kansas, and they were 10 of 17. But it looks like TCU has improved week over week recently at stopping teams on third down. So I wonder if that's going to come into play on Saturday. It sounds like it might. Well,
1: I think it'll definitely be a point of contention. And uh, just for just for reference, TCU on third down is, um, you know, on third, third and medium, they are um, – that's defense. Sorry, on defense, they're you know they're top sixty on third down success rate, um, and they are ninth in the nation on third and long percentage. percentage. And so that has increased over the last uh, couple weeks for sure. And they're definitely good at making opponents get in those third and long situations. Um, I will say that it is tricky with like West Virginia to look for any improvement in third down conversions because you can't really measure the counterfactual of like a drive where they scored a touchdown on second drive or excuse me, when they scored a, a drive where they scored a touchdown on second down, um, mm-hmm. that's not like positively counted towards that. The the information about that drive is not captured in the third down uh, conversion rate. And so you lose a lot, like you Fair. lose a lot there just because, Hey, if West Virginia, you know, scored a touchdown on every drive except one and they didn't convert on third, third down, They'd be, you know, zero for one on third downs, but clearly at the extreme there, that's kind of an absurd argument, but at the extreme, clearly we lose a lot of information. And so TCU, you know, they boat up a little bit, but also they got ran over a bunch. And so hopefully they'll be able to force oh, them for into sure. those third down situations and hopefully there is some improvement there. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been, it, it's hard to take a lot of information out of that.
0: No, definitely. And and you're right. I mean, four of, I I think it was four or maybe five of West Virginia's touchdown drives were less than a minute and a half long uh, on Saturday, which means that they didn't really have much time to get to third down. Uh, so when TCU is getting teams yeah. to third down, it seems like they're doing well lately, but you're right. It's a matter of getting them there in the first place. And that's been a struggle. For right. TCU, oh, uh, and, and that's, for sure. you know,
1: these, uh, that, that stat that I really, really like percent of first downs coming on first and second down TCU's defense is 88th. So 70, 71% of first downs right. are coming on first or second down. So they're, yeah, they're not letting them get to third down often. Uh, and so I think that'll be, that'll be a key. A lot of third downs for Baylor, um, I think will be an indicator that TCU is doing pretty well, just in terms of forcing teams to, to play to TCU's strength.
0: Definitely. Definitely. So let's pull back for a minute and talk uh, about some specific players, obviously, Uh, TCU got uh, some more bad news on the injury front yesterday in Gary Patterson's press conference. Uh, Joe Brodnax is now out for the season. Actually, his career is over. There is no chance of uh, play at the next level either um, because of what is being just termed as an undisclosed medical condition. Uh, You know, TCU, and I don't know if a lot of people knew this before Brodnax's injury, but TCU is participating in a national study on the impact of football uh, on brain injuries, and so they were pretty regularly doing um you know some medical analysis on on their players and in the midst of that uh I think the articles that I read said back in July uh something was revealed in one of those tests for Joe, and uh so that was something that they have been monitoring and in the last couple of weeks, they've started to see some of those symptoms manifest for that condition. And that's when they've started to hold him out. And now they've come to the conclusion that he just can't play football anymore. It's really kind of a heartbreaking thing uh, for a guy who has been patient, uh, came in as, as someone who was expected to start right away you know, defensive tackle from Brian Adams over in Dallas uh, and played significantly his, uh, his early on in his career and kind of got passed up by, specifically by Ross Blacklock. Um, but maybe also a little bit by Corey Bethely um, and a couple other guys as well, but has, you know, continued to grind and do things the right way. You, he's one of those kids where you never hear about anything bad off the field. And he, he seems to put in the work on it um, for, a, for this to happen to a guy like him. That's just really, that's a big bummer.
1: Yeah. Um Heartbreaking and super scary just in terms of they, you know, kind of randomly found this thing and then it manifested. Um Yeah. Yeah. Uh super, super scary and super heartbreaking that he can't, uh, can't play anymore. And then, you know, kind of putting that in a box and moving on hurts on the field. Um, And so there's just, that's just an all around bummer. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It does hurt on the field. You know, obviously that's, that's incredibly secondary. Um, But he was the guy that was expected to kind of step in when Blacklock got hurt. Uh, And he is, you know, Played relatively well uh, in in the over the course of this season, and now the frogs are without him too. Uh, you know that that's going to open up, I guess, more playing time for uh, <clears throat> George Ellis, who we saw playing a little bit on Saturday against West Virginia. He was named as someone who um, Patterson felt pretty good about coming out of that game, even though the you know, the results weren't there. Uh, you know, Terrell Cooper is a name that we've heard over and over this year. This this is going to be an opportunity for him to kind of step up too. Um, but realistically, the Frogs are starting to scrape the bottom of the barrel as far as the depth chart is concerned on defense. I don't know how many more. I mean, uh, Thankfully, there are only two games left, possibly three if they went out, but uh, they need some time just to get healthy this off
1: season. Yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, I'm kind of, I'm not rooting for us to lose. Don't hear that, but I'm kind of okay with not going to a bowl just from the standpoint of like, let's get off season started. Let's get healthy. Um, cause at some point you got to start thinking about next year as just a self-preservation sort of a thing, uh, especially, you know, crazy things like kickers playing defensive end and, and practice and just getting really, really thin. Yeah. man, I do not want to sacrifice an ounce of next season for any kind of game this season at all.
0: Right. And and I totally agree with that. And that's why, you know, I. I, I really don't like the argument uh, that people are trying to make about seeing Justin Rogers this no, year. No, yeah. First of all, it's not going to happen. He hasn't been completely cleared to play. Patterson basically said he's not. you're not going to see him this year. Uh, on Tuesday, he mentioned in the press conference, uh, if he had been cleared to play, you would have seen him already. So that's an indicator to me that we're not going to see Justin Rogers at all this year, and I think that's the right call because it's like it's exactly what you just said you don't want to sacrifice any of your future for a season that's pretty much already, already a loss. So, uh, why would you, why would you put your, your big freshman quarterback, who's coming off of a significant knee injury, uh, in a situation where he could re-injure that knee and then you've, you know, you've cost yourself a whole season?
1: Right. Especially like this weekend. Yeah, I would, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not going to happen, so we don't have to worry about it, but it's like, that would just be, that would be stupid at that point. Um, I did okay, I did I I do like to bring up Justin Rogers because I'm I'm thinking about him. I'm trying to not get too excited about him. Here's just an interesting question. I threw it out on on Twitter today, but like if I give you a line of 3.5 career starts left for Sean Robinson, are you taking the over or the under on that number?
0: Ooh. Ooh, that's a good question. I think I'm taking the under.
1: Right. Like it's super plausible that he starts next season, but man, I don't think he's I think he's going to look for a different position or something. Yeah. Uh, Or be a, I mean, be a solid backup and that would be, you know, a wealth of riches, but it's hard to, it's just so clustered for next year. It's hard to see uh, him getting more than that, him getting that fourth start, you know? Yeah.
0: I I really do see Justin Rogers starting next year. Uh, You go back and you look at their high school careers and yes, Sean won a state title in Texas at DeSoto his senior year. That's incredibly well-documented, but he's always been uh, a, a less-than-accurate passer. I mean, you know, he's completed 55 to 62% of his passes really for the majority of his high school and college career at this point. Uh, that's just who he is. And in this offense, you can't really afford to miss that many passes. I mean, when Trevon Boykin was at his best, uh, you know, he was completing upwards of like 66 67% of his passes, I think, his senior year. He got hurt. He was completing almost seventy percent of his passes, if yeah. not seventy percent. Like that's a ridiculous number. And and for this offense to be effective, and for Cumbie to really be able to open up the playbook, you've got to have a quarterback that can make those throws. We saw how limited the playbook got when you had Kenny Hill. And yeah, he's still. I mean, he won eleven games last year, but that was not the full playbook that TC was used to seeing and using. Right. I mean, it was it was pretty clear that they were they were playing to Kenny's strengths, and yes, he had some significant ones, but. Throwing the ball downfield wasn't one of them. That's not Sean Robinson's strength either. He's got an incredibly strong arm, but it's almost like a marcus Russell situation where you, you don't really know if the ball is going to go where it needs to go. Yeah. Uh, and and on the other side of that coin, you've got Justin Rogers, who is coming out of high school a seventy percent passer. You've got Max Duggan, who is currently a senior in high school, who's already amassed like five thousand yards and sixty touchdowns this season uh, between yards. his his quarterback and just you know he's dual threat guy so some a lot of that is on the on the ground as well uh but you've got two guys that are young and coming up through the ranks who are incredibly accurate passers and do have good arm strength as well and give you that same kind of dual threat capability uh, realistically i see this as kind of being a, a three three-headed race in the spring uh I, I mean actually i don't know if i don't know if doug coming in the spring or not so i shouldn't say that but i do see Uh, a a really hefty quarterback competition coming up for 2019. uh, And I see Justin Rogers coming out on top simply because it feels at this point, like he's more capable of making more throws, especially down the field. Now, whether or not that's actually the case, when it comes to playing in a game, we've yet to see that, right? I mean, Russ Rogers is kind of an unknown still to us, but uh, if his high school game translates to college, like we hope it will, and that should be the case.
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think there's a non-zero chance, too. I think it's small that, you know, Robinson was hurt. Well, this is true. He was hurt coming into the season. And this offseason, yeah. he gets right. And after having seen some game film from him, the offense adapts a little bit like it did for Kenny Hill. And, you know, it clicks for him some more. And we kind of design it a little bit more. And he comes out next year and is, you know, smash mouth running the offense and is great. And that would be, you know, I'd I'd, I'd love that for him. But if we're wedded to this kind of precision wide receiver run game that so much of it is dependent on this, on this rhythm. And if you're an accurate man, you like, you can make big plays, but if you can't get us a, a couple first downs in a row, it kind of the wheels come off of it as we've seen so many times this season.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I would love to, to have Robinson go into this off season and look at film and realize uh, you know, some of the mistakes that he was making and really do the work to correct those. I think that would just, that would benefit himself. That would benefit the entire team overall. Um, because there have been things other than his accuracy that have plagued him this year, obviously turnovers and fumbling the ball is one of them. Uh, and really, you know, not finishing on throws, you know, he's thrown off his back foot a lot. He was really skittish in the pocket. He wasn't progressing through his reads very well. Uh, and a lot of that maybe is a, is a product of the offensive line, um, but you're absolutely right, if he comes out next season and and really you know shows vast improvement, then I'm down for him to to be the starting quarterback again. May the best man win um but at this point in time, I think justin
1: rogers gives t c the best chance moving forward i think i'm I think I'm in the same camp there, yeah
0: and what's hilarious is that the guy that's starting now i don't we haven't named him yet in this future's conversation, but the real- realization is is Uh, Michael Collins is also only a redshirt sophomore. Like he's not going to leave the program. He's already transferred once. He's already transferred from Penn. He's going to be around too. He
1: is. I think he'll be a great backup uh, for his career. I think we'll be glad to have him in the second half making some fun plays.
0: Uh, Speaking of career backups, do you see any
1: chance that we see the mule? I'm so glad you asked this. what, Am I, allowed to, am I allowed to say what the hell is happening in the comments this weekend? Because people were saying, I'm yes. ready for the mule. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> I've promised that you're not. Uh, yeah, that's just insanity. Um, I think something will be terribly, terribly wrong if we see the mule this weekend, um, whether that be something terribly wrong for Baylor and we're up by 70, or something terribly wrong for TCU on a number of things. I think calling for the mule is the epitome of, yeah, you just need to look in the mirror and think about your life for a little bit, man.
0: No, I totally agree. I totally agree. And and first of all, hats off to Grayson Muelstein. A lot of guys would have left the program Wait. by now. We've seen a lot of guys leave the program under similar circumstances. This guy has been a grinder. Um, yeah, and, and he's obviously, I mean, he's made TCU better because TCU was built on guys Absolutely. like him. Um that being said, at this point, you know, you've got to get some guys game experience that are gonna maybe contribute to the future.
1: I, I think so, and, and, I'm, and, fine and with, I'm fine with I'm fine with giving them. him his due like I'm fine if, you know, he gets he gets plays because we're we're trashed and not competitive or he gets plays because we're up. But there's no like like he's he's earned playing time, especially in this situation. So I'm happy to see him, but there's no like strategic reason to put him in the game or to call for him to be in the game. And he's, you know, he's done a great job and filled a, filled a unique role, like you said, that we've needed, but I just, uh, people want to be unhappy evidently.
0: Right. I mean, like it's not going to be another Bram Colehausen situation.
1: Uh, Dude, little secret.
0: This guy comes in. Bram
1: Colehausen was bad. And just Yeah. He was good for that one game. Like he was,
0: News. Yeah, uh,
1: I just don't like people think that that the Alma ball di- almost did us a disservice in that way of just people think we have all these people in the background just waiting to come out and be awesome. And that is not the case.
0: I mean, we saw him against Oklahoma, not play well in the second half of the OU game. And then we saw him in the first half of that game against Stanford or yeah, Oregon, pardon me, not play well. And, yeah, uh, you know, he had a second half for the ages for sure. But that was about it. Yep. That was about it.
1: So give me... Shout, uh, shouts to Bram Kohlhausen, though.
0: Yeah. Shout out to the legend. Uh, got a shout out from Lil B on Twitter. Did you Did you know that in the midst of that game? No, um, I did not. So he did He did the kind of James Harden eating out of the bowl celebration after a touchdown or something, and someone sna- uh, pulled a video of it and tweeted it to Lil B, and Lil B approved. Base God approved of the celebration for Bram Kohlhausen, and uh, that was when I knew that DC was going to win that football game. Heck, yeah. That's awesome. And anybody, I, did not, I
1: I never knew that.
0: Oh, yeah, and everybody over, like, the age of 35 doesn't know what we're talking about right now. Which I think is most <laughs> of them up. So, but it is yeah, what it yeah. is. Look up Lilby. Oh, I'm, is I'm, a, I searched it on Twitter. Know, it's It's hilarious. 30, no, well, I'm telling our listeners now. Listeners, oh, yeah. you look up Lil B on Twitter. He is a he's a treat. He is a gem for sure. Um, and it's just Lil L I L B, uh, or at Based God, I believe. But um, yeah, he's he's brilliant. And so, give me a prediction for this game, Parker. How do you see things playing out for TCU Baylor this week?
1: Um, I think it'll be. I think it'll be back and forth. I think it'll be. Um, I mean, I think it'll be a slot fest. Uh, I think S and P has, this as like a TCU slight four point margin on the road. Um, and so I think okay. that's probably, I think it'll be within that. Um, oh no, sorry. They have a 1.8 margin, um, which is basically, you know, being counting on the road factors, TCU by four on a neutral field. um, yeah, I, I I think you got to throw out a lot of the a lot of the season long stats just because both of teams have been so bad and been so volatile. Um, but yeah, I think uh, unfortunately, TCU's season of shame continues, and and Baylor is a little bit more fired up and and a little bit more ready to win and pulls it out in a close one on Saturday. I grimaced when I said that.
0: I think simply because, yeah, uh, you know, I think. Baylor definitely has the advantage being at home and being healthy. Um, you know, They're also on the brink of being bowl eligible for the first time in a few years, and to be able to say that that sixth win was against you know your biggest rival, even if they don't – I know Melissa said she was on a podcast the other day, and the, the Baylor person she was talking to claimed that Texas was their biggest rival. Sorry to any Baylor fans who think that that's actually the case because it's not. It's us, and you're stuck with us, and we're stuck with you. Uh, But that's neither here nor there. You know, for Baylor to get that sixth win and get back to bowl eligibility by beating TCU, I think that would be incredibly significant for them. Just as, you know, on our end, I would say that beating Baylor and being a part of the reason that they don't become bowl eligible would be pretty significant for us. Uh, You know, back in 1997 when TCU only won a game, it was against SMU. And it kept them from making a bowl that year. And TCU fans everywhere rejoiced. And I think that would be a relatively similar situation now in 2018. That All of that being said, I do think Baylor has the advantage simply because they're at home. They've been a little bit better lately. And they're healthy. But there is no way in hell you will ever (laughs) catch me picking Baylor to beat us in any sport. So I'm going to say that TCU wins this game. Uh, they come out with a gutsy performance. Michael Collins throws for 350-ish yards, just like he did against Kansas, but there are no turnovers. TCU scores uh, in abundance on Saturday, and the defense does enough because they're forcing Baylor into third and long situations. And like you said, TCU's really good in third and long situations on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, so give me TCU to win. Uh, and like I said, it's going to be a, a – a, the touchdown fest, TCU to win 28 to 24.
1: Tw- four touchdowns. Man, I, that, you got a lot of faith in the TCU offense. Four whole touchdowns. <laughs> I
0: sure do. They're going to come out inspired, man. It's a rivalry game.
1: It is a rivalry game. I, I love that optimism. I wish I shared and look, it. And look, if Pitt can score 50
0: points in a game and rush for over 500 yards, no matter who they're playing, at some point this TCU offense is going to be able to score four touchdowns in the same game. <laughs> Like, that just has to happen. That has to
1: be the I case. think that's fair. Uh,
0: you know who is going to score more than 28 points, though, in their next contest? Oh, no. That's TCU men's basketball. Yeah, they are. Heck, yeah, they are. They play Fresno State on Thursday uh, at home at the, sh- at the Sholly. So y'all all need to get out there uh, and, and watch the Frogs play, support the Frogs. This is one of those kind of bigger name non-conference opponents that TCU basketball has on a, on a slate of non-conference games that really uh, isn't incredibly impressive, but isn't you know, terribly depressing either. I mean, uh, you look at TCU's schedule, and after Fresno State, they've got a couple games uh, against some directional Michigan schools, and then they go uh, over to Dallas, they play Moody Coliseum against SMU. Then they fly out to L.A. and they play in the Staples Center against USC. Uh, They've got um, a couple of games after that that aren't terribly awful. Like Charlotte, uh, I don't believe, is incredibly bad. They beat Oklahoma State already this year, so that's something to keep an eye on. Um, And and obviously the Florida game in January kind of closes out the non-conference schedule. Uh, But, Parker, you know, you're a big Ken Palm guy. I know I stole your thunder a little bit in the (laughs) roundtable that we did last week previewing the season. Uh, but what do you see from this non-conference schedule that stands out to you?
1: Well, I, I mean, I think games like this, like Fresno, are, are good RPI opportunities. Fresno is projected to be in the uh, the top four of their conference, as is uh, Eastern Michigan, who um, you know put up. I'm now, well, now I'm checking my math to make sure I said this correctly. Uh, but Eastern Michigan played Duke and uh, was a little bit scrappy towards Duke. Uh, no, that is not what I was thinking of. They lost eighty-four to forty-six. But, I saw something no. else.
0: Yeah. That was today. Okay. Never mind.
1: Scratch that. That was, was today. today. I was looking yeah. at something else. <laughs> uh, Eastern Michigan's bad, but no, Eastern Michigan's projected to finish in the top four of the Mac. And so, you know, uh, RPI is, is more or less dead long live RPI, but this new net rating, you know, uh, wins uh, wins over opponents who are going to win is, are, are really helpful. Um and especially Fresno, you know, plays Nevada twice. Um, gets San Diego State twice. Um, and so has opportunities, you know, to steal some of those like high value RPI wins. Um, and so taking care of out of conference business is what determines TCU's fate in terms of s- seeding because basically the committee eyes, you know, a seven, seven win big, T- big 12 team, a seven conference win big 12 team, the same as a 10 win. Big 12 conference team. And so these kind of of out-of-conference, taking care of business can not only get you ready for conference play, but also determine where the committee views you in that kind of morass of the the second tier of the Big 12.
0: And I definitely hear that. You know, TCU, especially in this really new Jamie Dixon era, has kind of caught flack for their non-conference schedule because it isn't the toughest thing. On the planet, yes, there are a couple big-name games like the SMU and USC and obviously the SEC matchup against Florida coming later in, in the year. Um, but, you know, the TCU really got hammered last year for their non-conference schedule specifically because they didn't play really any true road games. I think they played one. Um, now, they played a couple of neutral site games that apparently don't even remotely count, uh, even when they're happening on the other team's home court. Uh, that You know, that's a semantic thing, I suppose, that I, I just we'll have to live with, but is there really a significant impact uh, when it comes to analytics and data when a team doesn't play the most significantly impressive non-conference schedule? Like, I mean, I mean, the big 12 is already a a gauntlet. Does TCU really have to prove that in non-conference as well?
1: Um, No, I think that has uh, less predictive value and more signaling value. Um, just in terms of, you know, uh, like last year, the big 12 conference standings, you had super fast internet. So in the, in conference you had last year, 2018, you had one, two, three, four, five, six teams with eight to 10 wins Four eight win teams in the big 12. Um, and so Mm -hmm. seeding those, it basically comes down to your non-conference schedule. Um, and you know, distinguishing between those, um, really that that's how you can signal um kind of where you stand out of that group that gets for for fair or unfair gets gets lumped together um i'll say plenty of big teams have bad out of conference schedules and they don't matter the biggest thing is just win like nobody's complaining about um i mean i some people are complaining about but like duke doesn't play a road game in non-conference this year um they have a couple neutral side games and and they have you know they played Kentucky to start out in that big champion classic. But outside of that, they're not they're, they're hosting Army in Eastern Michigan and Stetson and Hartford and Yale and Princeton. So they're, they're racking up small wins too. I think a lot of that goes away for with two factors. One, as TC becomes more reputable, they're going to get some more of those like uh, litmus test games of coaches who want to play them because they think they'll win a lot of games in the Big 12 and it'll be a quality win. And so can draw some better opponents for that. Two, as TCU wins, that goes away. You know, uh, laughably in the Trent Johnson era, remember mm-hmm. they start the season 13-0, get ranked number 25, and then win two big 12 conference games maybe and just get murdered. Um, and so that's, we're, we're clearly not in that world like that, yeah. right now where TCU is just inflating by beating nobodies. We're, we're, we're definitely in firm, like, ramp-up territory. But I say the way to make that go away is just win, win your conference games.
0: I like to hear that. And, and realistically, yeah, you should. Yeah. Right, And and with uh, the injuries that TCU has early in the year, obviously Jalen Fisher isn't playing. Blatt-Meyer still isn't playing. Uh, Quatnoy still isn't playing. And so those are three pretty significant pieces that you're missing early on. I, I think you're absolutely right. It is just about getting those wins. Even if they don't look that great like they didn't in the first game of the season against Cal State Bakersfield, only winning by five, letting that team hang around a lot longer than they should have. And then really, you know, kind of letting Oral Roberts hang around a little bit, um, not nearly as much as they did with, with CSU Bakersfield. Uh, you know, Realistically, I think as this team starts to get momentum, this, is, this schedule does kind of set up nicely for that. You've got a, a nice little matchup against Fresno State. Then you go into Lips- Lipscomb, Eastern Michigan, and Central Michigan. Hopefully you've, you've got some guys healthy and back at that point as you get ready for SMU and USC and Indiana State and Charlotte. Um, before you have uh, a, a tournament, I believe the tournament is in Hawaii, um, uh, the Hawaii uh, with Hawaii Pacific and a couple other schools. I can't remember exactly where the tournament falls. Um, before
1: yeah, D- Head is right before uh, right before non-conference, right before yeah. conference play. Yeah, and, um, and so it is just right where, like they they Charlotte's their last kind of tune-up game before they go, and then if I if I'm correctly I forget who the other team is in that. And now I'm completely drawing a blank. Or drawing a blank. Let me Google it real quick. Yeah, I'm I'm searching it real quick too. Who has
0: faster faster internet? Let's see. Here we go. Uh, That would be TCU and Hawaiian Pacific. And, oh, Charlotte is in that as well. Colorado, Indiana State, Rhode Island, St. Mary's, UNLV, and Hawaii
1: wait, that's so weird that Charlotte's in it and we have them at home.
0: I wonder if that's a part to... of this.
1: Oh, that's a neutral, but so that's on. Yeah. So I guess they start playing Charlotte and that terms of the bracket, and then they play Hawaii Pacific on the 28th. Yep. So yep. they're there for that entire week. Okay. I was going to say, I would love to not play Charlotte twice.
0: That's yeah. That's interesting. Uh, so you're right. They they do play Charlotte. Uh looks like they will play. Uh, this bracket is not good on your phone. Um is not gonna like desktop play, either. Uh, it looks like they'll play the winner of Rhode Island and Bucknell, which that wouldn't be a terribly bad pairing. Um
1: yeah, one I mean potentially a, a a tournament team out of a one big lead for, for both of them. You know, Rhode Island's historically uh, been pretty good, although they have a different coach now. But um Yeah. Yeah, and I mean I think I think good experience it's gonna be nationally televised. It's gonna be a big deal. So that'll be fun.
0: It will be that's, yeah, and that'll be a good that'll be a good tournament. I mean, there's some decent teams in this too. You've got uh UNLV that's a decent squad. You've got Colorado, uh that's that's all right. Um yeah, this isn't a bad tournament now that I'm looking at it. So you know, and there's so there's some potential for a couple other pretty quality non conference games too, when you look at this this whole bracket. And uh like you said on the whole, it's it's not a terribly impactful thing if it's not the best lineup in the world. So uh, realistically, I think TCU's got a pretty good shot of coming out of the non-conference play with a, a good record and a, and a good solid opportunity to make some hay in the Big 12 as well. You know, I mean, yeah. you've got Kansas who is just as talented as ever. Um, with, a, you know, the big transfer from Memphis, who we both mentioned in the roundtable, Lawson and just a wealth of talent around him. Uh, but other than that, re- you know, watching this turn, watching this, this conference play early on, uh, it seems like it, it's pretty wide open after Kansas.
1: Yeah, I thought, I mean, West Virginia losing a stinker and Baylor clearly having some trouble. And then you think, oh, is the next best team Kansas State? Uh, That doesn't feel very convincing in terms of, you know, a true challenger. So I think that middle class is, you know, seven teams deep in the Big 12 this year.
0: I definitely agree with that. I mean, you've also got uh, an Oklahoma State team that's already lost a non-conference game as well. Uh, And and Oklahoma, uh, they're probably not going to do too much too much this year either just because of, you know, the loss of Trey Young is – it hurts them a lot. So yeah. um, I think if, if there's a season, you know, and this TCU team is arguably as talented as it has been, talented as it has been in a long time, uh, frogs, may, frogs may do the thing. There's top three in the Big 12.
1: Yeah, if yeah, this is definitely the one, one of the windows. It might not be the only window, but it's definitely one of their windows to do this.
0: No, no, no. You know, if, if Dixon stays around for a while and keeps recruiting like this, I think he'll find that he has more recruiting success here than he could at Pitt. Yeah. Um, Pitt sucks. for what it's cold. that's worth. Yeah. <laughs> Pitt sucks. It's cold. Pittsburgh's a cool town, but it's not much of a college town. And you know, I guess there's a short drive to Morgan Town where just, you know, people tell you to eat things that you shouldn't eat yeah, all the time. Do not but, follow those instructions. Uh, Rhymes with Pitt, actually. But <laughs> – Anyways, anyways, uh, hey, so here's something fun that I saw on the internet earlier today. A buddy texted it to me as well. There is a picture floating around of Mike Leach. Have you seen this picture? Is it the mustache? No, it is Mike Leach sitting in his office next to uh, a Sun Bowl championship trophy in a big lounge chair. And behind him on the wall... Is a painting, and let me let me text this to you really quickly. Yeah, so I need you to see, this. see uh, what I'm what I'm talking about here. Um, yeah, let me send this to you really quick. It, it, but it's a painting, and it's the one of the gentleman who's like doing the weird pose on the chaise lounge in his underwear, but he's put his own face on it. <laughs> um, yes. So, hang on one second here. Let me send it to you. Uh, but, you know, I, and I do love Mike Leach. He's probably one of the funniest um, personalities in not even just college football, all of all of sports. And, um, you know, so it's probably not shocking that he has this, but at the same time, it is shocking that he has this.
1: I just love when um, he does anything to contribute to his aura, like anything that's on brand for him that he actually mm-hmm. does. I feel like it's when, you know, in a movie, they say the title of the movie and the movie You're like, oh, oh." and so whenever he does something like that, it's always, it always makes me giggle. I'm like, that's exactly what I would expect from Mike Tleekich in this situation. Uh, Yeah. So I I like him. It's definitely,
0: it's definitely like he's, yeah, it's definitely like he, he almost intentionally sometimes is breaking the fourth wall now of his own little person. Oh, yeah. I just DM'd it to you.
1: Oh, sweet. It's like cultivated, it's cultivated aloofness, like with the mustache thing where he's talking about. Yeah, I don't know why they say that. A lot of these kids have beards when clearly, like, his player with the mustache is this icon. Uh, yeah, they, he's, mm-hmm. he's a goof, and I think he does it intentionally. Oh, absolutely, he does. So, uh, you see that picture? Oh, yeah, that's great. That's so freaking funny. Also, he never smiles so now- in pictures. His face is always so dumb
0: it has got like his tongue is halfway sticking out a little bit. He's not even looking at the camera. Oh my gosh,
1: he's he's a treasure. So the
0: question is now: how do we how do we get a similar painting in GP's office with his head superimposed on that?
1: Yeah, I don't.
0: And we'll tweet this out. Um, we'll tweet this out so that people can see what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, I th- see. Here's the thing: I think we'd have to blackmail GP with charity to make it happen. I think that's the only way we could do it. Is you know fundraise fundraise for charity to get this painting in his office.
0: That'd be pretty incredible. I, I don't oh, know. I think he that.
1: absolutely wouldn't do it. I, yeah.
0: But what if, what if we created this photo, had GP sign it and then auctioned it off to the Gary I
1: think Patterson. That's Foundation? as close. I think that's as close as you get is, is Patterson at least implicitly acknowledging that this photo is made. Uh, is getting him to sign it and then auctioning it off for charity. That's our off-season project. There we go. <laughs> Maybe. Off-season
0: project. Absolutely. I'll reach out to Mark Cohen immediately. Immediately on that. Um, but let's, uh, you know, TCU football is not the only squad that's playing on Saturday, so let's go around and make some Sweet. picks uh, for the other Big 12 games and some other marquee games that are coming up. On Saturday, um, first at two thirty in the afternoon, Texas Tech travels to Kansas State. Texas Tech is five and five. Kansas State is four and six. Uh,
1: who do you see coming away with the win? In that um, game? Oh, I think I think Kansas State is uh, spiraling, and so I think I think Texas Tech will probably win that game. They just Texas Tech has a weird mojo, man. You, like even when they're not healthy, they just got some weird stuff going for them, and so I think they'll probably I think they'll probably pull that out.
0: Yeah, and it, you know, speaking of weird mojo, uh, the way they lost that Texas game on the 10th anniversary of Michael Crabtree on the last second touchdown. Yeah, and then Texas, little, little Jordan Humphrey, basically doing an identical thing. That was nuts.
1: Yeah, you uh, couldn't have rehearsed and then done it better. Yeah, that, that was pretty crazy. Absolutely nuts. Uh, yeah, give
0: me Texas second this game too. Regardless of who's playing quarterback for them, I think they roll. Uh, Tech is only favored by six, which is a little surprising to me. I thought that that number would be a little bit bigger. Um, uh, next up, yeah, though, weird. you've got uh, you've got West Virginia traveling to Stillwater, Oklahoma State coming off of a heartbreaking last minute loss to Oklahoma in Bedlam. West Virginia is obviously cruising after their uh, route of TCU. Um, they've won three in a row. They're looking to make it four, coming off of that weird loss to Iowa State. Um, about a month ago now, do you think Oklahoma state can pull off the upset or is West Virginia done losing until they play Oklahoma?
1: Well, I think two things are working against Oklahoma state. First off they're, you know, 57th in passing S and P plus. So they don't oh. defend the passing. They don't defend the pass game really, really well. Also, that's just a body blow schedule right there of Texas, Oklahoma, West Virginia, all back to back. Um, mm-hmm like man if i've ever complained about tc schedule this year that oklahoma state has a worse one so i think they just i think it's hard to get up for multiple games like that especially having the emotional letdown last week and so i think i think west virginia will cruise to win
0: i think so too i i wonder what kind of shape osu really is in you know they had a Baylor game mixed into that tr- that trio as well that they lost yeah. down in Waco. um coming off of that relatively Unexpected win over Texas. Um, you know, Cornelius, they have a similar quarterback issue to us, only not as, not as, as bad where Cornelius is a guy, uh, and they want more than a guy at QB this yeah. year. And, and they I think they feel about Justice Hill, the kind of the way the TCU fans feel about Jalen Rager, like they're watching this great athlete and, and football player kind of just, you know, when uh, you're waste, wasting a season for that guy. Um, but yeah, I do think West Virginia beats Oklahoma state and beats them handily. Um, yeah.
1: I, I think it's we funny really that need they, to... Oh, sorry. <clears throat> I was going to say, I think There's it's a... funny that they, that they moved bedlam specifically so that OU and Oklahoma state wouldn't be a rematch in the big 12 championship game. And we're going to get a rematch in the big 12 championship game this year, like an end yep. of the season, two weeks in a row. They, yeah. Good job. Uh-huh. In big 12.
0: they They're doing everything right these days. Everything right.
1: Uh, the only
0: reason we need to mention Oklahoma and Kansas is because Oklahoma is a thirty-six point favorite.
1: Points. It's playoff ranking season, man. Take it. They're gonna. They're gonna get style points. Yeah. You gotta. It's not enough to beat somebody. You gotta. You gotta bury them. So they're gonna cover. 40, Absolutely.
0: Forty-five to nothing. Forty-five to nothing.
1: Something I good? think Kansas gets a weird field goal. Okay, forty-five to three. Yeah, I, I'm. They will. It will be worse than West Virginia beat TCU, but only by a little bit.
0: And here's a, another interesting game at 7 o'clock. Iowa State goes to Texas, 15th-ranked Texas against 16th-ranked Iowa State. And here's the thing. Neither of these teams are totally out of the mix for the Big 12 Conference Championship Even.
1: Yeah. Um, <coughs> yeah, this is not it's- the game that I had penciled as... Must watch is starting the season, but it's pretty, it's pretty intriguing. They've played, this game has been ugly in the past. Um Like last year specifically, Iowa State versus Texas was before Iowa State magically pulled an amazing quarterback out of their hat like they do every year. And I think Jacob Park was still playing and they just, they could have beaten Texas and just, you know, literally gave it away every chance they could. Um It sucks that David Montgomery is out for the first half. Uh Ooh. I I think it's just the first half, right? Um, It is. That sucks because this is a big, big game for the Big 12 and for who's going to get that um, either second New Year's Six spot, which probably doesn't exist, or the Alamo Bowl. This game's probably going to determine that. And so it stinks that such high stakes. David Montgomery's out. Uh, I think Texas wins at home. Um, They just – they're not good. They uh, are in the 40s in S&P, but they just – are are one better when it counts. Uh, And so it's been been weird to watch this season and kind of frustrating because you think they should lose more. But I think think Texas wins. I
0: think Iowa State wins. Uh, They haven't lost with Brock Purdy at quarterback. They haven't won by fewer than, I, I guess that Oklahoma State game was kind of a shootout. But realistically, I mean, they beat Oklahoma State. 48 to 42. They beat West Virginia 30 to 14. They beat Texas tech 40 to 31. They annihilated Kansas simply by not letting Kansas on the board, hardly at all. 27 to three. And they beat Baylor last week, 28 to 14 in a game that was really a a pretty physical contest. Uh, This offense has been incredibly impressive. Texas's defense hasn't been that impressive to me lately. You know, they gave up 34 points to Texas tech. They gave up over 40 to West Virginia. They gave up 38 to Oklahoma State those last three weeks. So they're in some kind of way defensively. Uh, I, I do think that Iowa State, even without David uh, Montgomery for the first half, has some weapons, you know, we mentioned Hakeem Butler earlier on the show, um, that they can go to on offense to really kind of give Texas' defense some problems. And, you know, this is the best defense in the Big 12. Uh, and it's not even really close at this point that Iowa State is the best defense of the Big 12. And Texas, I don't know. I mean, with all of the improvements that Lil, Lil Jordan and, and um, Sam Ellinger have made, uh, they might not have Colin uh, Johnson, I believe, is their other big wide receiver. They might not have him back yet for this game. Um, they're a little beaten up. I, I, I just think the situation is right for Iowa State to keep this five game winning streak going, turn it into six and really start to, uh, you know, keep an eye on this West Virginia-Oklahoma matchup in a week to see if the Cyclones can't even slip into the Big 12 championship.
1: It's, it's still there. And, and now that you, and, and you say that and looking at, looking at this, I think Brock Purdy will be the big deciding factor in this game. Texas's defensive percentile performance. So, you know, where did they place among all teams in the, in the country that week? Last three weeks, Mm -hmm. 18th percentile, 10th percentile, 11th percentile. Um, they have had win expectancies in their last five game of 9%, 30 or post game win expectancies of 9%, 32%, 25%. 60% 60% in that loss to West Virginia, but then 21% in that win against Texas Tech. There's an argument to made that their luck's going to run out. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and I think it happens this week against Iowa State. I would love for it to happen this week against oh, Iowa I'm State.
1: Oh, I'm rooting for it, absolutely.
0: Definitely. Uh, so let's go around the the country here. There are a couple other pretty big games. Obviously, Alabama is playing the Citadel. Uh, you know, you've got Kentucky playing Middle Tennessee State. You've got Florida playing Idaho. Uh, you know, it's a big week in the SEC. Georgia's got UMass. Um, Texas A&M is playing a nine and one UAB team. Uh, do you see the pattern that I'm that I'm getting at here? Uh, it's okay. that weekend in the SEC. Point of order:
1: Keep UAB's name out of this because the zombie team yeah, deserves right. all of our respect.
0: <laughs> uh, zombie if, if
1: anything, they're playing a cupcake this weekend. Uh yeah, I, fair. I'm fair it's, point. It's hard for me to get mad about this, honestly, because it's just smart. Like it it just makes sense for them to do this. And I don't know why more people don't do this. I don't know why the Big Twelve schedules all of theirs right in a row and lets everybody cannibalize themselves like they've done a couple years. Um yeah, it's well the,
0: the reason the reason that the Big Twelve doesn't have this option is because they have the ninth regular season conference game. Uh you know, yeah. you've got a twelve week yeah. regular season. Uh, SEC only has eight conference games that they're required to play, and so you have this weird gap in the schedule. Um, or I guess they can—I mean, they're still scheduling it in intentionally. But and I don't—I don't blame them for that. Let me let me make that clear. If you're going to give teams that have a run at the, an opportunity to make a run at the championship a breather late in the season, do it. But you know, I think my my question is. Why is one conference afforded that opportunity when other conferences aren't? I, yeah. I feel like there needs to be some level, some sort of standardized scheduling method that says every conference has to play eight conference games or every conference has to play nine conference games. And then you schedule your non-conference accordingly after that. Um, yes, the SEC is a pretty strong conference. It has been for a long time. It's arguably the best conference in college football. I I, I would listen to that mm-hmm. argument, even uh, in spite of the last couple of seasons where it feels like it's really top-heavy. Uh, but you've got, you know, you've got, and I think I tweeted this out earlier, you've got these teams playing these games, but they've already, and, and people pushed back and said, well, yeah, everybody plays mm-hmm. Cupcakes. Sure, but they've already played Cupcakes too. Right. 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 Like everybody, everybody in that list that I just said has already played somebody of that stature. You know, you've got. Um, <clears throat> let me let me pull up my tweet again, because you've got. Uh, where'd it go? Oh no! Oh yeah. So teams that have played, those, teams that are playing those games this weekend have already played Southeast Louisiana, Alabama State. Charleston Southern, Austin P and Coastal Carolina. Yeah. Those were another team on each of those five schools uh schedules this season.
1: Yep. And, and, and so and it's because the incentive I mean the incentive structures are there, like that that just sucks that there's a great opportunity for more information about who's the best team in your conference, more opportunities for you to make sure that teams are playing each other more regularly. You know, Georgia went to LSU for what, the first time in ten years or something, eight years this this year. Yeah. Um, and you just have opportunity for some of those games where it's like, I want to watch that. I want more opportunities to see teams play. And yeah, you're going to get, you know, more Arkansas, South Carolina or Mississippi State, Kentucky, which was a good game this year. Don't whatever. But you also get more uh more than just, you know, Auburn, Georgia as your and Alabama, Tennessee as your crossover. You get more opportunities to see mm-hmm. teams kind of play and and scrap. So yeah, I think it's I think it's bad for college football just in terms of like there's another really good marquee game that could be scheduled that isn't because the incentive structure is the SEC is going to get a team in the playoffs, so just avoid losing at all costs, and then you get in the playoff. Um, so that's kind of annoying. Right. Because that standard is not there for everyone else.
0: It's definitely not. And, you know, Texas A&M has been in the in the SEC for six seasons now. Georgia doesn't go to College Station until
1: 2024. That's
0: done. That's ridiculous. Yep. But, anyways, there are a couple other that was a side, that was a tangent, so that's my my fault. But there are a couple pretty interesting contests around the country, um, not related to the SEC. Notre Dame is hosting Syracuse on Saturday afternoon, uh, and this was the game that I expected to get game day. But we'll talk about the game that actually got game day in just a minute. Uh, do you think Syracuse upsets Notre Dame on Saturday?
1: Dude, they're pretty I mean, that was a pretty fun game against just stomping Louisville on Friday night. Um I yes. don't think they can do it. I think Notre Dame's good enough with Ian Book that they that, that they'll keep winning. Um I mean Syracuse is kind of that team that that had some good mojo and some good moments last year and then is able to transfer that into this year. But no, I think I think Notre Dame pulls it out frustratingly. Just because Notre Dame in the playoffs is boring I, I, and stupid. Like join a conference. They play the worst of the ACC and the worst of the Pac-12. Joint, just join a conference. Um, so that's annoying. But also, I think I think Notre Dame is just kind of plotting and boring and good, and they're going to win.
0: You know, but they've been they've let some teams hang around that probably they shouldn't have. Yeah. And if they do that against Syracuse, I do think Syracuse has the ability to pull off an upset. I mean, you go back to late September and they realistically should have beaten Clemson at that point um they lost inexplicably to to Pitt the following week but since then excuse me that's, they have not scored less
1: that's flying with like, machine pit that was that was totally excusable yeah, okay. <laughs> it's the second half Fair. of the season pit <laughs> uh,
0: it is second half of the season pit and they're wearing those sweet throwbacks that they should just make their actual uniform yeah. um they're gorgeous the script is is fantastic uh, but since that loss to Pitt on October 6th Syracuse has not scored less than 40 points in a game.
1: Yeah. They've been they've been rolling and granted they played 44 on a
0: 51 game. against NC State, 41 against Wake Forest and 54 against Louisville. Yeah, they haven't been playing the greatest competition, but uh you know that doesn't that doesn't always mean uh that a team is going to score half a hundred points just cuz the competition isn't isn't where it should be.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that'll, I mean, I I'll know. definitely be watching that one. I think that was probably one of the better games this weekend. I'm hoping
0: for the upset.
1: I'm hoping for the upset there.
0: Um, let's see who else uh, we've got uh, Cincinnati and central Florida. That's the other really kind of marquee matchup this week, which is odd to say seeing how it's a G five matchup, but the Knights sitting at uh 10 and O or sorry, nine and O uh, number 11 in the country and the Cincinnati Bearcats are 9 and 1 which is an in, in interesting thing that i hadn't really paid attention to all year as Cincinnati Bearcats football um does central florida continue their string of undefeated uh what are, i mean what are they at like 25 games in a row now and they haven't lost yeah uh,
1: i don't Something I, like I, that? I think 25 is the is the count um i mean they're playing pretty, they're they're playing <coughs> really good um i'm always like sensitive to these you know, the big, the, the big media narrative, because like, especially now that they, now that they've done it two seasons in a row, because I was always the knock against TCU and and Utah. It's like, Oh, they haven't played anybody. And, and, you know, when you demonstrate sustained success um, I think that's always impressive. Um, I do think that the uh, AAC is really down. I do think they're going to get like SMU or Tulane in the conference championship. And so that's going to be super unimpressive and deflating. But I think I think UCF rolls against Cincinnati. Cincinnati's looked pretty bad against a couple of teams this year. Um, maybe should have lost to UCLA, uh, and so I think I think UCF is comfortable this weekend.
0: Uh, here's a question for you. I, I agree. I think UCF wins comfortably. Uh, Washington State has two games left. They are nine and one. Do they finish the season with only one loss? They've got Arizona this week and Washington to close the season out. In the uh, Apple Cup.
1: No, they definitely. Uh, they 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 definitely lose to Washington. They have a mental block. I big think brother, think they have big syndrome? brother syndrome. Little yeah, brother yeah, syndrome. Little, little brother syndrome. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, it's in Pullman. I, I don't think that matters. I don't think. I think the only way they can beat them is if Washington has a playoff spot on the line. Uh, I don't think. I don't think uh, Washington State can win out. I don't think they're good enough to. I think they. I think all Chris Peterson has to play for this season is beating them, and so I don't think that. Uh, I don't think they win the Pac-12. Uh, I mean, I think they win the Pac-12, but I don't think they have uh, one loss at the end of the season.
0: At what point does Washington get fed up with Chris Peterson not having delivered the way they expected him to?
1: Okay, I'm actually uniquely qualified to speak about this because, I as you you know, I, I commute, so I drive a lot. Yes. And I listen to a lot of podcasts. And the other day, I listened to the Pendleton Brothers podcast, maybe. That's probably not their actual name, but they had Ken Palm on. And so I just listened to their entire, like, three-hour thing, and they are a Washington-specific, Washington sports-specific podcast. It was really enjoyable, uh, even as someone who doesn't care about Washington sports. But they had – they talked about Washington basketball and the Seattle Sounders and the Seattle Seahawks and then Washington football after they had just lost a cow. I think this was that timeline. And they were already addressing it. Um, Like, this season <laughs> – Big time fans are talking about Chris Peterson having a ceiling and just knowing who he is, and this is what he is Wow, um which I think astounds me because my question is always who are you gonna get man like yep i don't think you want I don't think you want a random draw over Chris Peterson, yeah, I just think that's dumb um, I agree,
0: and uh, you know i I mean, not every head coach that has been successful at the G5 level will be successful in the power five at the power five level. But I mean, you've got some pretty significantly good examples to to lean on. You've got, um, I don't know, Gary Patterson as one Uh, for all of his many, many faults. Urban Meyer is cut from that same uh, group of people. At this point, you've got Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech, mm-hmm. who, you know, this season notwithstanding, has looked pretty good in the that's first fair. couple of years at the Hokies. Uh, I, you know, I think that, um, I, I think that Washington fans uh, are are being a little over-eager to pull the trigger on on yeah. firing Chris Peterson this early on. I mean, it's been what three seasons? Four? Oh, dude, but that's not enough. This time. is the
1: fifth season, and can I just read you some numbers? Oh, five, five okay. seasons, eight, seven, twelve, ten, seven with a playoff appearance. Uh, yeah, do not. F- and they're wanting stupid. to fire him. Just stupid. Cause I mean, who are you going to, I mean, how you, are yeah, just not going to get anyone. And here's what people forget is that like one Alabama is an aberration. Um, it is not real. It is not sustainable. This is the best run of college football success that we have ever and will ever see. Um, you're not going to be Alabama. I don't care who you are. You're not going to be the next Alabama. Two, there's a finite pool of wins. Like everyone can't win ten games every year. Just mathematically, <clears throat> it doesn't work like that. And so, yeah, people are just dumb about expectations. Um, people don't know what good is, and good, especially for a Pac-12 team like Washington, is to be in the national conversation every year, to win, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten games. Most years, and then get lucky every couple of years, and two mm-hmm. ten, two ten win seasons and one of those twelve wins in five years like they're fine they're doing fine that's just that's just silly that's just entitled nonsense
0: I totally agree uh, on another completely unrelated note we're obviously we're recording this on Wednesday night, uh, and it will post uh, later tonight once we finish this thing, uh, but the Dallas Mavericks. Just won by fifty. Jeez, one hundred and eighteen to sixty eight over the Utah Jazz.
1: Um, that's a lot. That's a lot of points in an NBA as a, bas-
0: as a as a basketball fan, and I know that you're a basketball guy too, as uh, a Grizzlies fan over there. But Utah is is supposed to be pretty good this they year, are aren't they? Better
1: than uh, twenty two second half points, which <sighs> just pulling up the box score is what they had tonight. Thirteen in the third quarter, nine in the fourth quarter.
0: That's rough. Uh, Against the now, against the now, uh, what is this? Four and eight, Dallas Mavericks. Four and nine, Dallas Mavericks. Something like that. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Anyways, that was a complete. I just was looking up the uh, the uh, the final score there. That game just ended, and uh, Twitter was going nuts about it. That's crazy. Anyways,
1: we're we're not that podcast, but Luca is fun as hell to watch. Man, I've just caught his clips. But he's awesome. Yeah.
0: He's he's the best. He's absolutely the best. He gives me sports hope. And that's the thing I don't feel like I've had in quite some time. So. <laughs> but anyways, we should probably wrap this show up. It is getting late, and this is getting long. So, uh, folks, if you are listening and you've made it to this point and you want to tell us all about Luka Doncic and your opinions of him, you can tweet at us, at Frogs of War. I am at Frog Preacher, and Parker is at Parker underscore FOW. Give him a follow. He needs more followers, not because 75 is a low number, but because you need to see what this guy is doing with advanced stats. It's incredible. He's brilliant. Go give Parker a follow. Um, and if you could, please, please, please leave us a, re- a review and a rating on iTunes. Like we say every week, it helps with the algorithm uh, that iTunes has to put us in more ears uh, so that more people can hear all of Parker's analytics and all of the other ramblings that Melissa and I have to offer you folks. Uh, we would love it if you would do that for us. We love doing this show, and we love interacting with you all. So, again, tweet at us, like us, rate us, review all of those good things. Most importantly, though, show up for the Frogs on Saturday, whether that's going down to Waco, even though it's been a rough season to this point, or if you're watching on TV, but show up on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. TCU's finally got a night game. It's against Oklahoma State. It's the last game of the season, probably. Uh, last game of the regular season, definitely. And, uh, it would be really a, a cool thing for frog fans to not just lead, not, to not just, you know, stay at home, even though the team has not performed well this year. So show out for the frogs these last two weeks. Uh, and for all of that, I am Jamie Plunkett and my, uh, esteemed partner, Parker Fleming has been a treat tonight. Thank you, Parker, for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on, man.
0: It's it's been a blast. Uh, And this has been the Frogs War podcast. Go Frogs.
1: Go Frogs.